0: The stock market is a moody beast. No matter how much insight you have or how many Fibonacci lines you draw on your charts, there are still innumerable pitfalls that can cross your path and ruin your trade. The risks involved skyrocket, too, when you invest in a nascent industry like cannabis. The rapidly changing market, lack of historical data, and, of course, federal cannabis prohibition all make investing in cannabis unlike investing in any other industry. If you enjoy hearing frank discussions that dive deep into cannabis health, business, and technique, I encourage you to subscribe to our newsletter. Every week, you'll receive a new podcast episode delivered right to your inbox, along with commentary on a couple of the most important news items from the week, and videos, too. Don't rely on social media to let you know when a new episode is published. Sign up for the updates to make sure you don't miss an episode. You are listening to Shaping Fire, and I'm your host, Shango Lose. My guest this week is Alan Brockstein. Alan is a CFA charter holder based in Houston, Texas. He began his career on Wall Street in 1986 and now works as an independent research analyst following over two decades in research and portfolio management. He is founder of the 420 Investor online community, which is the first and still largest due diligence platform focused on publicly traded stocks in the cannabis industry. He's a prolific writer, too, with over 650 articles published since 2007 at Seeking Alpha, where he has 70,000 followers. Alan is a frequent speaker at industry conferences and a frequent source to the media, including the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Fox Business, and Bloomberg TV. He's currently writing columns for both Leafly and Forbes.
1: Welcome to the show, Alan. Hey, thanks for having me. It's always great to speak with you and I'm looking forward to uh, addressing your audience. Fabulous. Well, I'm, I'm glad that
0: you could set aside the time for us. So, you know, at the heart of investing is the weighing of risk versus reward. And in an explosive industry like ours with so many variables moving at the same time, how do you recommend investors approach determining how much risk they are comfortable with?
1: Yeah, that's risk is what it's all about, Shingo, so I'm glad you started with that. Uh, when I showed up on the scene in 2013, I saw a lot of risk and absolutely no opportunity, at least in the public markets, which is where I was initially focused. And even today, I like to remind people that this is all federally illegal. So uh, in my community at 420 Investor, I'm in the middle of a survey right now that I'm about to close out, and a lot of the people have 75 to 100% of their uh, portfolio invested in cannabis stocks. Wow. I think that's insane. Yeah. So I try to remind people of a couple of things. Number one, federal illegality. Number two, most of the publicly traded stocks are on the over the counter, which is a whole different can of worms. worms. It has nothing to do with cannabis. It just has to do with penny stock fraud, which is rampant. So I, I do like people to keep that in mind. Uh, and at the same time, I like to point people to uh, Canada, where that federal illegality isn't the same issue. So so
0: flesh that out a little bit. So what what is different about the approach in Canada versus how it is here?
1: Oh, sure. So, uh, uh, yeah, some people may not realize, but Canada has a federally legal medical cannabis program, and that's been around. It launched officially in 2014. It was the uh, second version. They had one that launched, I think, in 2001. Uh and so they're on the, the cusp of being totally federally legal for adult use as well. And, uh, you know, that, that impacts everything. It impacts banking, taxes, everything. All these problems we have in the United States, they don't have to deal with in Canada. Of course, Canada's not as big as the United States. It's uh, almost as big as California.
0: I see what you're saying. So as far as unpacking one's risk goes, you know, anywhere that you invest in a licensed product market in the US, your first, you know, monster in the room is, oh yeah, it's federally illegal. But at least if you were to invest in Canadian companies, uh, those companies, they may or may not themselves be a good company, but at least they're
1: not federally illegal. Exactly. And, you know, it goes a little bit deeper than that. It just makes it Easier to invest in companies that, you know, your audience is probably familiar with 280E, for instance. And, you know, it's unfortunate, but even companies that operate well, they have to pay sometimes 80% marginal tax rates. You just don't have to deal with those kind of problems in Canada.
0: Yeah. When, when, when considering investing in companies, it's amazing how um, atypical looking at, 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 at at profit and margins and, and P and L is different because there are line items that are there that don't appear in traditional companies. And there are additional item items that you don't find in other businesses just because cannabis is such a unique sector right now. Yep. Yeah. So. So, so as far as the, the, you know, the federal regulation aspect of it right i mean certainly overall we have this umbrella of investing in us companies are a challenge because they're federally illegal but then we've got things that happen on a, on a weekly scale right we've got you know jeff sessions says one thing this week and then he seems to say something uh different another week and you know we're we're back and forth with you know is it going to be schedule 1 schedule 2 unscheduled and so there seems to be a an intentional um, you know, media circus around these things because it all is clickbait on social media. And so it all tends to be kind of constantly a fervor of this. Um, how do you, rec- what, you know, what do you recommend to your uh, investors and, and guide them to, to either react or non-react to this kind of intentional, you know,
1: excitement of, of investors? So this whole Jeff Sessions thing is definitely a problem. I, I think it's like one of those clouds that you see lingering all the time. And will it actually rain? Uh, In last November, when the election results were pouring in, I was kind of shocked initially uh, to see not only that the Senate was going to go the other way, but more importantly, that we're going to have a change in administration. And the first thing I thought of was we are at risk. And so I, I told my subscribers at 420 Investor that we, we have a risk factor. It doesn't mean anything's going to happen, but it's something that the markets are going to have to deal with. And it, it really caused a problem because the stock prices had run up going into the election and then they pulled back. So, you know, I, I don't think Jeff Sessions is actually going to get his wish, which is to roll back uh, cannabis, whether it's medical or even adult use. Maybe adult use. Uh, we'll see the Cole Memo. Uh, kind of ramped up a little bit so that there's more uh, restrictions, uh, I could I could see that, but I don't think that would kill the industry. Uh, so yes, this remains a risk factor and something that the media, as you mentioned, really overplays and it scares people and it scares the entrepreneurs because if you think back to 2013 after Washington and Colorado had voted to legalize in late 2012, everybody was sitting around waiting uh, on the federal government to see what would happen. And they put in place the coal memo in August. And then all of a sudden, all the entrepreneurs, investors were able to move forward in both states. And I think it's probably too late to roll it back. Uh, there's You have uh, an issue now where a lot of states are pulling in a lot of tax money. There's a lot of employment in the sector. And probably more importantly, Shango, the, the will of the voters uh, just continues to really point to tolerance for recreational cannabis and an actual embracement of medical cannabis. I mean, we saw that in the Florida elections, very conservative state, a lot of older people, yet they uh, got past the 60% requirement uh, to to pass medical cannabis, which was something they were unable to do in the prior election. So uh, I think that it's actually the state and local governments They're more of a problem for the cannabis industry than the federal. The federal government is obviously not helping the industry, but uh, it's kind of status quo. It's really it's the municipalities in the states where we're seeing a lot of problems. We saw that in Ohio uh, a couple weeks ago when they handed out licenses and there's a lot of controversy there already. We've seen delays in a lot of states. We see a lot of municipalities pushing back. We see rule changes that can really hurt these cannabis companies when they all of a sudden change the rules. So, uh, you know, you started off talking about risk. There's so many different risks in this this industry.
0: So let's talk about a couple other ones. So um, on a company-to-company level, you know, in, a, in, a, in an industry like ours that's so fast-paced and for, you know, the last – 50 years has been, um, in the shadows. Now that people are able to work on these products and these technologies and these business solutions out in the open more, uh, we get people who are developing extraction techno technologies at this, at this wicked rate. And, 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 and the, um, uh, technologies are becoming outmoded and being surpassed by new companies at an incredible rate. H- how do you weigh these these fast-paced technologies and solutions becoming outmoded so quickly when you're trying to decide whether or not a company has got long-term viability?
1: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm actually really excited about this because <clears throat> this is one of the things I mentioned that's really one of the best things about our industry that we We have time uh, and incentives for uh, people to make big changes, and I guess you're looking at it as as a threat. The reality is most of the cannabis stocks uh, that have been trading over the last few years are are really not real, and we haven't really addressed that yet. So it's not so much a risk uh, for cannabis investors as an opportunity. I'd love to see some of these innovative companies move into the public uh, sector. They're not really there yet. So for the most part, you're talking about in the private investment world where we're seeing a lot of companies do neat things. We're seeing companies jump from uh, basically where they'll ha- they'll have a product developed for uh, let's just call it a regular industry, and then they adapt that product. And we're talking about like POS systems, for instance, but it, it, it goes a lot deeper. And the thing that I really focus on, and I'm not seeing it yet in the public markets, but... Uh, We're getting close, uh, and that is technology that will uh, enable us to have cannabis beverages, uh, rapid acting. It doesn't have to be necessarily beverages, but rapid acting uh, uh, cannabis uh, edibles that uh, really get around one of the worst uh, aspects of edibles, which is that uh, you know the onset's so slow that people tend to overdo it sometimes and really cuts down on social. And I, I saw just uh, today, Shalene uh, Tidal has been able to pull off in Massachusetts uh, the ability to have social use, uh, which is something we haven't really seen in any market yet, uh, certainly not in Colorado, the original legal market. And I think... Uh, to get on parity with the alcohol industry, that's going to be uh, essential. So that's what I'm looking for. And, and like I say, it's, it's more of an opportunity than really a risk. I don't think anybody's going to lose uh, by the way the market's changing. I mean, flour is still very popular, it runs at about 50% in your state still, uh, and in most states. Uh, but we're seeing all these other really neat uh, forms of delivery and innovation uh, in, in terms of the uh, modes of ingestion or consumption.
0: When an investor is looking at a company and considering investing, you know, there's so many unproven executives in cannabis. It reminds me of the first dot-com boom where you'd have a visionary who had some kind of access to capital. And so they started from nothing and they may have been, you know, a middle manager or less at at some company beforehand, but they're just somebody with moxie and access to some capital and off they went, you know, building building their dot-com and the majority of them failed from either running out of cash or just from poor management or both. You know, how do you weigh for yourself um, the fact that there are so many inexperienced uh, managers who are running these companies?
1: Yeah, no, that's a good point. And uh, so I, uh, a few years ago, I started sharing my 3P uh, analysis of companies and, you uh, I think investors really fall for one of the P's. The first P is the plan. I don't usually say that first, but I'm going to say it to you first. You know what is, what is it that they're trying to do? What's their plan? And then the second P is uh, the people, and that's kind of what you're asking about. And then the third one that you kind of alluded to as well, I call it the pecuniary because that is a P instead of money, or it could be <laughs> the P, P, and the M. But so what I try to tell people is don't get caught up on the plan, first of all. I mean, plans are pretty easy. And so then you you look at the people. It's very important because you're right. I mean, uh, even for myself, I'm not the best stock analyst in the world. I was just the only one crazy enough to show up here in 2013, which gave me a running head start. And in the same way, you know, people were either smart or stupid, but they came into this industry because they saw an opportunity. And, you know, there's a lot of stigma. And uh, that keeps people out. I'm seeing huge changes on that front uh, over the last uh, six to twelve months, where we're seeing just a, a rapid influx of really qualified people, and that's that's a good thing for the industry. But it's going to get to the point where, like you said, some of these people that were here a couple of years ago, they're not really qualified to lead the industry necessarily. So, and then the, on the money part, I, I think it's important because you know. People that were paying attention in the dot-com could have seen the cash burns and lack of tangible results and figured out that that uh, wasn't going to work.
0: One thing I run into all the time when interviewing folks and then just doing my own research on companies are the two different kinds of of leaders that they tend to have. On one side, you've got companies that are led by by folks who have their life experience in prohibition era era. Yep. So they are, they're cannabis people first and foremost, they were in the shadows when it, when it became more normalized, they've come out of the shadows and now they're running their company. But because they were doing black market business for all these years, they don't have a lot of the traditional skills that you'd get at a, at a, you know, fully legal corporation. Now on the flip side, you've got all these new people coming into the industry that have little to no cannabis experience, except for maybe toking themselves, but they have worked at you know, blue chip companies and they, they know how to read a P&L and they're used to working with venture capital. And so they've got that side, but then they, they don't know what to ask a, a master grower when they go to hire them because they don't actually, they're not from inside the industry. So, so how do you see those, those two sets of people, you know, how do you weigh between the two of those when you're considering investing?
1: yeah this is a great question, and it's something I, I point to a lot i am I'm, I'm flashing back to the one and only m j bizcon I went to uh in two thousand and fourteen. I go to other conferences, but I don't like big crowds and I remember kind of looking at the it was such a divergent group of people you had uh, like you said the suits and, and then the people that knew what they were doing, but not necessarily so business savvy in the real world and uh and thankfully, I've noticed I haven't been back to that conference, but at other conferences, I've noticed it's getting bridged. And what I try to counsel uh, anybody who'll listen to me is look for the management teams that they don't necessarily have to have the cannabis expertise. That's always I, I think it's good to have somebody on the team that really has it. But you can uh, get that on an outsourced basis by having good consultants. You just want to make sure that the suits running the company are grounded in the reality of the industry. And at the same time, it's very possible that you could have uh, people that are emerging from the black market uh, that never have the felony, or it's going to be hard to do, but uh, that don't have the management savvy on their team, but they have good counselors. So it's, it's you don't necessarily have to have those people, but I really like to see management teams that have been able to. Where the, the two sides have been able to come together and appreciate that if they want to really accomplish a lot, they're going to have to draw from both those uh, wells uh, and, and work together and that they've internally resolved that and can show that unified presence to their investors or customers or whatever it is.
0: I think you're really spot on to mention consultants because even though, you know, a cannabis consultant air quotes is, is kind of a running joke, right? Yep. Because, yep. because, you know, you, you can't go to a convention without bumping into, you know, hundreds of cannabis consultants, but at the same time, you're right. You can, um, you can third party those types of skills, which makes the skill that the, to, to the suit to use your words, they don't necessarily need to know how to set up an extraction lab, but they have to be really good with their human resources approach to know how to find the right kind of person who actually knows how to set up a lab. And in the in these early days, I would say that we're finding more people who have hired the wrong people and have got they, they fall out of that relationship and they have more success with their second or third person because they're actually having to learn from their mistakes.
1: Oh, that's for sure. And I I hear about, you know, we're on our fourth master grower kind of uh, discussion all the time. And and we were talking about Canada earlier. This is even up there. They have the same problem and maybe it's even worse, but it really hits home. And and I always try to uh, look, I I don't have uh, a a horse in this race, really. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm I'm kind of an observer and an analyst. I'm not in the industry. Uh, So. I, I have a lot of sympathy uh, in, for the people who fought the battle uh, to get us to where we are. And uh, it really pains me when I see like what's going on in California. A lot of these people are going to really not be in the industry, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, Oregon was a good state. They've let people, even with felonies, uh, participate in the industry, but most states don't do that. But up in Canada, they have the exact same problem with uh, uh, the people that have been operating in the gray market. they're they're disenfranchised. And so uh, I've noticed, you know, some of the companies have figured this out and have tried to uh, uh, bring them in. And just recently, the uh, federal government of Canada proposed kind of a second tier producer called a micro cultivator, I guess, like a craft cultivator, uh, which, uh, from my understanding, this is an attempt to broaden the industry because if it's going to make the industry better. You you, want to kill off the black market. You don't want to push the people with all the expertise out and make them compete with you in the black market. That's not good for society. So uh, there's, there's a lot we can unpack there.
0: Yeah, totally. Well, that's exactly what happened here in Washington, right? Oh, yeah. Instead of blessing the, the medical, the, the, got the medical, yep. yeah, medical just got straight killed and they gave the licenses to all the newcomers. Yep. So now we've got this, this highly integrated, networked black market that also happens to have incredible technology, CO2 extractors and, yep. and great labs competing with the state. And so it's, it's ugly. So, so in, this, in this first section of the show, we've talked a lot about some of the unique and ugly risks. That investors have to consider when when looking at these new companies. And and you know, it's it's enough to cause people to just say, Man, forget <laughs> investing in cannabis. It's 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 too noisy, it's not a safe place for my money. I'll put it somewhere else that's got less of these risks. When when you hear people who are kind of looking for a reason because they want to invest in cannabis, but they also see these risks. Is there anything that you can tell them to kind of soothe them to, like, hey, you know, keep looking in cannabis?
1: Yeah. So I, I've I've been you know I I've been warning about these risks for a long time, and uh, it was really an inflection point in my cannabis career uh, when the local CFA or Chartered Financial Analyst Society asked me to speak uh, in April, and, and I I. I wouldn't have done it until this year, and I feel like the industry, the investment set has definitely improved. The risks are still there. I think they've gone down, and they're better understood now, and and what I tell people uh, in the 420 investor community is mitigate the risk. Don't put all your money into the industry. Put a little bit. Don't put it all into one stock. Spread it around. Uh, You know, I'd give the same advice to any private investors uh, were they to ask uh, just in terms of, uh, you know, making sure you don't have too much exposure to any one situation because just the fact that it's a new industry, uh, you should be careful. It's a venture capital type of approach. Just, you know, if you have uh, make 10 investments and one of them is a 10 bagger, it doesn't matter what happens with with the rest really. So uh, that's kind of what I try to tell them uh, to – To be diversified and to to not uh well that's mainly a diversification shingle
0: yeah right on that makes a lot of sense so we're going to take a short break and be right back you're listening to shaping fire and my guest today is alan brockstein founder of new cannabis ventures and 420 investor if you own a cannabis company you know that finding good business partners vendors and allies is an essential part of your role and building your business in a new industry like cannabis doesn't always make that easy Canacon is coming to Seattle, Boston, and Detroit in the first half of 2018, and the halls will be filled with every kind of ally you need for a cannabis company. Technology, horticulture, packaging, marketing, legal, human resources, and media. Everything you need for your business will be there, and your customers will be there too. Canacon is a premier cannabis business and networking event with nationally recognized speakers and the opportunity to have serious conversations with your business peers and investors. Reserving yourself a booth at Canicon can unlock a lot of doors for you. Not only do you get to network with all the people who pass your booth, but it is not uncommon for Canicon vendors to do a million dollars in business during the event. Booths are already sold out for Seattle, February 15th, 16th, and 17th, so reserve your booths now for Detroit in June and Boston in July while you still can. Attendee tickets are still available for all three events. Whether you reserve a booth or attend for a day, do not miss the opportunity to become a serious player in your local cannabis market. Visit canacon.org for tickets, booth reservations, and more information. That's canacon.org. While I certainly still enjoy smoking joints, I moved over to using vaporizers about three years ago. The high was a little different than burning the flower, and in the end, I decided I preferred it for daily use, especially because I have asthma. More importantly, though, I could taste my flower so much more. It's hard to express to you how significantly different cannabis with a good terpene profile tastes when vaped instead of burned. I have brought my vape with me to visit growers, and they are astonished by the clarity of taste, and they say they feel like they're tasting their flower for the very first time. The Air Vape Vaporizer from AirVapeUSA.com is a great device to use on the go or at home. When you pick it up, it feels satisfying, like a medical device. It isn't flimsy like many vapes are. I like how the flour is inserted in the top instead of the bottom, so it travels a shorter path to my mouth. With the cannabis at the top, I get a hit that feels more substantial, even though I'm just inhaling vapor and not full-bodied smoke. Since I use this vape for flour, hash, and concentrates, I really like that the digital control for the temperature is right there on the front. Three clicks of the button and it fires up to the temperature I specify really quickly and discreetly. You know, vape concentrates are a milder experience than dabbing, but you still get the potency in your hit. Also, the taste is great, as would be expected with a low temp dab. I love that this vape gives quick little vibrations when it gets to the right temperature. That way, if I'm chatting or distracted while it's heating up, it lets me know when it's ready. If you are ready for a nice pocket-sized vaporizer, consider the Air Vape. The new Air Vape X has just come out, and it's gorgeous and it includes many updates. You can find more about the Airvape vaporizer at airvapeusa.com. Welcome back. You are listening to Shaping Fire. I'm your host, Shango Los, and our guest this week is Alan Brockstein, founder of New Cannabis Ventures and 420 Investor. So during the first set, we talked a lot about the high risks that are involved with investing in these cannabis companies and the importance of being diversified. And you know, most everybody is getting their information about these companies on the internet. And these, you know, most of these cannabis companies are so obscure and a lot of the news about them seems somehow canned and prepared. Um, How should folks interested in cannabis investing go about starting their research into their target companies?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, this led me to start a new business because uh, I was running a 420 Investor uh, from late 2013 into 2015 and just really scratching my head uh, about the bigger industry. Instead of just the public stocks, we're talking about the whole industry. And uh, one of the things I was known for at 420 Investor was being a really good filter. And there's so much noise and uh, people wanted to get Information on the good companies only, not all the noise out there, and uh, that's really what I was trying to do at 420 Investors. So we started New Cannabis Ventures in September of 2015 with that goal to kind of focus on just the really good companies. And the really good investors because there's a lot of fake investors too which we can talk about so uh it is hard to find news and i, I think your listeners deserve to know that th- there's you know that whole concept of fake news is is supreme in the cannabis industry in the in the public stocks especially but i've seen it even in private companies in these press releases well no we don't have operations today but we're gonna have 100 million in revenue in next year yeah. that type of thing <laughs> so there is a lot out there uh You know, I wish I could tell your listeners of all the different places. There's some great content creators out there. Uh, I guess they're kind of competitors of mine at uh, New Cannabis Ventures. We we definitely have an investor audience, but we get a lot of operators as well. Uh, Cannabis Business Times, uh, I think, does a great job. They have a cultivation focus, but they have uh, real news. Uh, You know, MJ Biz Daily has really stepped it up. Uh, They have uh, journalists on staff. Uh, they've widened their, their content. So I think that's a good place for people to get information from. Cannabis Industry Journal. There's some good podcasters uh, besides you. Uh, I would include you in the list, but uh, there's some others as well. We don't have to name them all. But I think it's important to really understand kind of what the source of the news is, because if it's just being paid for and it's not really earned, it's not really that real. And there's a lot of that going on.
0: Yeah, one of one of the sources that I like that that does not overly pump things up is um, Alex Halprin over at Weed Week. Um, yeah, yeah, his sure. cur- his curation is really nice, and he doesn't add drama to things. But you know, that was originally what attracted me to to your new cannabis ventures because I think you do a really good job curating as well. And you know your your intent when you curate is different than a lot of other sources. A lot of other sources are they're they're curating. Because they want clicks and they want people to comment and they want the drama and the sharing and the arguing and all that kind of stuff. But that's not your goal. Your goal, you started New Cannabis Ventures to be of service to the investors in your 420 investors community, right? And so so instead of just trying to get the clicks, you're trying to create a base so that people have got good information in the community you run. And I think that that's a really important delineation.
1: Yeah, well, it's not just in that community; it, it's it's broader, and it's really extending from that. But uh, our, you know, so we have and just so people understand our business model. We're very transparent. You can go to our site and see exactly who our advertisers are. And there's no doubt we run our advertisers' news. We don't we don't share our views. Like I, I would never say you should invest in my advertiser, but we run the news of their competitors too. It's, it's very. I always tell our our advertisers. Our readers are the most important thing to us. Uh, We uh, if we don't have our readers, we don't have a business and and we've earned uh, the trust of our readers for for two reasons. Number one, that we've been very, uh, very much a filter. We we don't. We will report on – like I've written some pretty negative stories about posers. I'm, I'm, I'm well known for that. That's really a second point. So they, people can count on us. If it's important news, we're going to publish it, and that's the first thing. But they can also count on us to really call people out. And when I do go to conferences, people will come up to me, Shane, and they'll say, you know, I got to tell you. I love the way you're willing to call these jokers out. And so fortunately, I don't have to do that that much, but it's uh, I actually kind of enjoy it. It's 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 a weird thing in our society that you can make a lot of money saying good things about people. There's there's a a lot to that. At the same time, if you want to say bad things about people, you run a big risk. I was sued for one hundred million dollars back in 2013 by a company that's now bankrupt and it. Literally, they called this libel. I cut and paste their SEC filings, and they didn't like that, and they sued me. And anybody can sue anybody for anything. So, you know, I had to absorb uh, you know, the expense of, of getting that eliminated. But it was a big—you know—I was scared. $100 million, $100 million, a hundred million dollars—a lot of money, even for me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, you know, uh, in cannabis, cannabis is drawing out a lot of first time investors yes. and, um, oh you, know, God, yes. you know, people who have maybe maybe they've toked their whole life and this is the time that they've always hoped would happen and and they want to get involved or 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 people who were around for uh, Google going public. Everybody's like, oh, if I if I only would have invested in Google, heck, a lot of my friends are doing that right now around Bitcoin, you know, yep, and yep. so um, so there's a lot of new investors. And, and I'd love for you to kind of just briefly explain for folks, just to help them be aware of this kind of news, um, about the, 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 the habit of, 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 I guess we'll call it fake news sources pumping up a company or a stock to elicit excitement, and then whoever's behind the play then dumping it. Could you kind of just explain that dynamic a little bit so that people can read with a little more skepticism?
1: Oh, yeah. And I I love where you're coming from. And uh, you are spot on. There are so many people uh, of all ages that are showing up. And, uh, you know, this started uh, not not recently. It started back in 13. But it's still happening with California about to legalize. I'm seeing it again. And I think this is what people don't understand about the OTC. I, I mentioned it earlier. It has nothing to do with the cannabis industry, this problem that I'm about to tell you. It's just human nature and Uh, Snake oil salesmen and all that. And so anytime something's hot, like Bitcoin right now, it draws in the scammers. And the cannabis industry has drawn in fake cannabis companies. This has been going on for years. Now, I like to point to the positive that there's a lot more real companies now. But it's undoubtedly true that there's a ton of, of posers out there. And the people behind these companies, this is what a lot of people don't understand, the financiers, they, they get free blocks of, of stock or very cheap blocks of stock and they'll pay for news to go out there and it sounds great and people see this and they don't understand that it's it's not real. And so it causes a temporary blip in uh, the price of the stock and the volume and it allows these scammers to unload their shares. And honestly, I, I wish I really understood it all. The SEC is overworked. I know if, if they had more money and more power, they would – uh, not allow this to happen, but it's unfortunate. There are companies that don't even file with the SEC, which I, I can't even believe that that's legal. <laughs> they file on what's called OTC markets, and in even uh, some of the SEC filing companies, they they do things that are just that should be illegal. Yet it, it goes on, and some of these things uh, would include like uh, you know we read about it after the fact, unfortunately, where the SEC enforces action. And you have to wonder how many of these do they not catch, but they'll put out a press release how they caught these people with these illegal offshore accounts and they were doing this and doing that. Guess what? This goes on every day. And uh, that's the unfortunate part about the cannabis market being on what's called the uh, -the over-the-counter or OTC. Most of these stocks don't trade on the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ. There's a a few exceptions. And so uh, it's it's very unfortunate, and it it leaves people – with a really bad taste in their mouth because they're excited about uh, investing in the cannabis industry, but uh, they go in with their eyes wide open and they get taken advantage of and then they think there's something wrong with cannabis or something you know to that effect. And it, it's really a structural problem, not related to the cannabis industry, but related to over the counter.
0: Certainly the idea of pump and dump is is way easier to do thanks to social media, right? Because oh my it God, used to yes. be so much more difficult. But now if you coordinate two or three media sources and you put out a tasty bit of news and suggest that everyone's buying it and and then you buy a big chunk yourself so that the stock goes up a little bit and then and which somehow proves to people that that the news that they're reading is true so now all these these second wave investors jump in and now it's really going up which then really doubly proves that the media source is true and then as soon as it hits the target level for for the people behind this mi- misinformation they dump all of their stock the price crashes and then and then all of these first time investors and and even you know pros they
1: their their money just vaporizes you sound like you know what's going on here. You sure you're not a pump and dumper yourself, Shinko? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a nerd, and I did the dot-com boom,
0: and it was really common then, too.
1: Yeah, No, you're right, and uh, the social media part, uh, for sure. We see all sorts of Twitter bots. I mean, uh, uh, I've, I've my partner has actually researched uh, some of the names that we've written on, and we'll see – we're able to prove that there's fake bots out there pushing – Uh, Saying good things about the company on Twitter. Uh, It's very easy to set up an Instagram account and show pretty pictures of of Bud. I mean, there's, there's all these things that can really play to that psychology of making something fake look real.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. So so let's talk about, uh, you know, uh, informal information that happens too. You know, one thing that I run into all the time, being in media and being at conventions, you, you know, the um, listening to Shaping Fire um, – listening to a podcast through your earbuds as many people do is a pretty intimate experience right i have access i'm in their i'm in their ear and we're talking you know you know usually weekly and so a lot of these executives they they take me aside at events and they 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 tell me things right they 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 they're excited about this this merger that's about to happen or this company they're about to acquire or this new technology that's coming out and they they they're bursting and they they just want somebody who they feel is going to appreciate it with them because they're excited and so so they tell me or they or they tell an associate of mine and now suddenly we know information that's not publicly available and this is happening all the time, especially with executives who are new to playing at this level. They're used to talk, talk, you know, just talking with their friends over beers or whatever, and now they're playing with you know seven figures or more of of valuation. And so, you know, where is this line between? You know, being a smart investor and asking questions that other people aren't asking so you can unearth valuable information versus straight up insider trading where you could get in some trouble.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I, uh, I'm i very sensitive to that. I <clears throat> your, your audience doesn't know this. So I don't invest in the cannabis industry. And this is one of the reasons uh, why I don't, because I don't want to be in that position of... Uh, Of crossing that line, Uh, most of the people I speak with, uh, they tend to be in the public market, so they're going to be very careful about that anyway. But uh, you know, they're very careful uh, in general with me, Uh, so I don't really get uh, that crossing of the line and saying things that should be disclosed publicly but aren't. Uh, But I'm sure it happens, and uh, uh, I I, I mean, to me, that's a big risk. Uh, We have clients, as I mentioned, and. You know, they sometimes want me to. They want to give me information uh, and sign an NDA. I'm like, why? I don't want to know anything that's not public. I really don't. So I, I try to protect myself and them by not accepting confidential information. So, but I, I can see how that's a problem.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna actually that that n- lack of willingness to sign an NDA is a really interesting aspect. I'm gonna have to chew on that a little bit.
1: Yep. Um, I, so- I don't want privileged information. I really don't. <laughs> I'm not investing and. Uh, You know, especially with a public company, that's just that's a huge risk. I mean, you read about this all the time, these uh, people getting busted for insider trading. Uh, I'm not going to be one of those people.
0: Right on. So 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 let's talk about companies that are on the far side of maybe not a pump and dump, but but are on the far side of the media's excitement about them. Right. So so I'm into some cannabis companies I, that I bought you know stock in early on, and and you know they got up to a couple bucks, few bucks, and then and then they're, they're you know maybe they lost a, a CEO or or their product didn't get adopted as fast, or like we were talking about earlier, their their local laws changed or there was a moratorium or something just messed them up. Right. And so, so, so they, they got up to a few bucks and now they're just kind of languishing at, you know, 30 or 50 cents, something like that. What are the kinds of things that, you know, if the company is, is going to have a rebound,
1: these
0: yep. are, these are stocks that are on sale, right? These are, these are things that you can get at a low price so long as they eventually go up. So, so from, on the investor side, what kinds of things can happen for these companies that were up and now they're down that actually can revitalize and and uh, be seen as a a value stock that's undervalued?
1: yep well, so let me warn everybody uh, because we we're I think in the middle of our third big rally since uh two thousand and thirteen, the first one around Colorado the second one uh, in advance of the elections last year. And so this one's in advance of California. It's something I've been talking about for a while. But I always like to point out to people, and I've even been writing about this, like I, I think I posted something on LinkedIn, that, you know, that, that historic rally in 2000, early 2014 when Colorado legalized, there weren't that many stocks and there were a lot of people. You were talking about the excitement earlier. So, you know, imagine everybody's trying to 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 get into the arena right in time and you know the lines long to get in and uh, so that pushed prices way high so you had a lot of uh, some of the early stocks uh, that went to prices that really made no sense and that weren't sustainable so I would caution investors just in general to understand that there are a lot more stocks I I tracked uh maybe 20 stocks at the beginning of 2014 that were cannabis related. Now I'm at 600. Some of those are Canadian. So you have a lot more stocks and uh, just a little bit more subtle point. Many of those stocks back then, the insiders held like 90% of the shares. And so there was just a small amount that was in the public float. And that created an artificial mechanism that really forced those stocks to really unsustainable levels because uh, if you factor in the other 90% that weren't trading, uh, the, these stocks couldn't have gotten to where they got. So that that's the first thing. So uh, look, I told you the industry, in my view, has really improved. And we started at New Cannabis Ventures tracking the companies that have uh, $10 million a year or more in sales. And this is something that I couldn't have done last year. But we now have, I think, 14 companies on this page where we're updating it uh, as the numbers change uh, that are on track to 10 million dollars a year or more in revenue and in fact some of them are are pushing 30 million or 40 million uh, in a year so i think as an investor this is to answer your question what's going to make these companies that are down work check and see if they're generating revenue and and of course just generating revenue isn't in the long run going to be the only thing because Ah, uh, you have to be profitable ultimately, or you're going to just have to keep going back to the markets and diluting, and uh, you know forcing your price lower over time as there's more shares. But that that would be my first clue to to take a look and see if what kind of progress they've made. Because if you go back and you look at the companies that were trading at the beginning of 2014, most of them haven't really done anything. Shango, unfortunately. Now the good news is we have a bunch of new companies that have come along that I think are pretty interesting. A lot of them are on that list. Right on.
0: You know, I had never considered how much of the Early cannabis stock was uh, held inside, and therefore that that ten percent that was the public float that was pe- people were investing not based on the characteristics of the company. They were the price was going up based on scarcity rather exactly. than value. Yes.
1: And and
0: um, no wonder so many of those uh, turned around as as their their angel investors and original owners um, you know dumped some of their stock so that they could you know eat and live and, you know,
1: re, you know uh, re-up, you know, themselves. You know, it was a little bit that, but just to be clear, these companies didn't have much in the term of operations. So just to keep the lights on, they had to, the, not the individuals necessarily, although that was partially the case. I mean, I'm sure you remember Medbox. Yeah. But, uh uh, they also just had to like raise some capital, and so uh, you mean like uh, like fundraising, using it as a yes, fundraising yes, tool. Fundraising. Uh, not yeah, not yeah, yeah. Insider selling, but yes, fundraising. And a good example. I mean, this is such a sad example. And I actually like this company, by the way. It's called CV Sciences. Uh, they uh, uh, they've they've gone in a slightly different direction because they're trying to develop a uh, through the uh, FDA path a. Chewing gum with CBD and nicotine, but their core business, uh, they're on my list. They're doing more than $10 million a year in sales, selling CBD products. They're highly regarded there. And so this is one of these stocks that had that thin float and went to like $200 a share. And, you know, even today it's at 30 cents a share. So, <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny, but so the stock goes up to 200. They get on the cover of Forbes magazine. There was insider selling, uh, but then they ended up Raising a bunch of money below a dollar a share, you know, they raised some at two dollars after the stock was at two hundred. That that was the reality. Two hundred was not the reality.
0: Right on. That makes sense. You know, there's before we go to commercial, you know, there's there's one more category of investor that I think that a lot of people ignore, and those are the people who are involved with uh, sweat equity. Right. Um, these are not necessarily public companies. As a matter of fact, they're either pre-public or just privately held. But there who are people who have been told, okay, I'd like you to come in and run my lab and set it up and use your consulting expertise. Um, but we don't want to pay you decently. We want to pay you you know, 15 bucks an hour and we're going to give you equity in the company. And this happened so often during the dot-com boom, even to me where I had equity in six or seven companies that were worth less than a rubber duck with a hole in it, right? And (laughs) so I think we're seeing a lot of that now where there are a lot of employees who they want to be part of a company that's going to make it, and they want to make their green rush money by by taking a low wage, and also um, you know taking some sweat equity. Do you have any advice for an employee who's thinking about taking some equity in lieu of uh, you know immediate financial compensation?
1: Yeah, well, that's a good question. I have not given it thought, but the first thing that comes to mind because I, I haven't really seen that. I don't really get into that granular of a level. But if you're working for a company and they want you to, to take uh, equity, take a look at what they're showing outside investors, just so you understand exactly what you're getting. I mean, this is not just the cannabis industry, but any industry. I, and I've heard this before. A lot of times, you know, people can be really smart. They can be an engineer or Uh, you know, some sort of graphic designer, really smart at what they do. It doesn't mean that they understand how to value companies or anything like that. So get a get a copy of what they're showing investors. If you don't understand it, take it to somebody who does pay them a couple hundred bucks, whatever it is to have somebody say, you know, what is it? Or if they're giving me 10,000 options, what does that even mean? Are there 10 gazillion shares or are there 20 shares uh, at extreme? So. Uh, I I think that can be really challenging for a lot of people because not everybody uh, has that expertise, Shingo, so that would be my advice. Right on. We're going to take another short break and be
0: right back. You're listening to Shaping Fire, and my guest today is Alan Brockstein, founder of New Cannabis Ventures and 420 Investor. We humans are attracted to plants because they offer us relief and are a whole lot of fun. Sometimes, though, the best parts are buried inside the plant, and we need to use specialty extraction technology. When it comes to cannabis, it is extraordinarily important to extract its precious oils without changing them in the process. We want to preserve the properties of the cannabinoids, terpenes, and other constituents that all work together. Since 1994, Eden Labs has been developing extraction technology and processes to do just that. Eden Labs was founded by a cannabis-loving engineer during the early days of medical marijuana in California, and the expanded Eden team has been designing and building industry-leading solutions for cannabis extraction ever since. Eden Labs' flagship product is the newly improved high-flow CO2 extractor. As other extraction companies enter the market, it is the high flow from Eden Labs that everyone chases and tries to compare themselves with. Not only that, but the improved automation software allows data to be collected, stored, and studied. Eden Labs can outfit your whole lab. Eden's Cold Finger Ethanol Extractor creates astonishing whole plant extracts working alone or in tandem with an initial stream distilling step to isolate monoterpenes before extracting the rest of the botanical constituents. Eden offers you many options, including vacuum distillation, column distilling, stirred reactor units, and accelerated solvent recovery. When you partner with Eden Labs, your lab team is enrolled into the Eden Labs training program to boost their understanding of Eden's best practices to ensure that your outputs are exactly what you require for your application, whether it be dab oil, oil for pen cartridges, or edibles. When you work with Eden, you're not just buying the tech, you're buying dedicated customer support to help you attain your business goals, too. You can hear Eden's CEO, A.C. Braddock, talk about the company's values during Shaping Fire episode 19 that was all about CO2 extraction. So many of the new companies in the market just smell opportunity, slap an extractor together, and hire a marketing company. Eden Labs has been listening to feedback from extractors and consumers for about 25 years now. They care about both you and your consumer. Partner with Eden Labs to extract astonishing cannabis oils and terpenes that you will be proud of. Go to shapingfire.com forward slash Eden to find out more. Skinny dipping, humpback whales, beatnik poetry, the Ottoman Empire, soil remediation, interdimensional beings, and tree frogs. These are just a few of the interesting topics you can find in the audiobooks library at audible.com. If you like podcasts like Shaping Fire, chances are that you'll dig audiobooks too. Just like with podcasts, audiobooks speak to you, telling you stories and teaching you stuff. Here's the thing. Audible.com has an offer I want to tell you about. Right now, they're offering a trial of their audiobook service for absolutely free. You can go to shapingfire.com forward slash audible and you will get a free audiobook straight up. You can listen to it on your mobile device, computer, or you can download it and listen to it like anywhere. It's really simple. Of course, they want you to subscribe to their service after the free trial and enjoy their audiobooks forever. But you don't have to. All you have to do to get the free audiobook of your choice is to check out the service for free. So that's the deal. Your first book is free. It's easy to sign up, it's easy to quit, and their online library of free books is pretty incredible. Just check it out. Go to shapingfire.com forward slash audible to find out more, or click on the link in this week's newsletter. Welcome back. You are listening to Shaping Fire. I'm your host, Shango Lowe, and our guest this week is Alan Brockstein, founder of New Cannabis Ventures and 420 Investor. So, Alan, in this last section, you know, we've been talking a lot about what we see now, and so often with investing, people are they've got their head down and 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 they're learning and they're looking too much in the now what do you see out 10 years in this industry that investors should be considering when investing in
1: things at this time wow this industry changes so fast 10 years is like 50 years if yeah, you ask Yeah, me. that's so, for sure uh i don't know if i have a 10-year view but let me just answer it as a longer term view so uh one of the you know as a u.s uh from a u.s focus one of the things obviously is you know what's going to happen with the federal government and my own view there is we're not going to see any big changes uh in the next few years May- maybe after the next presidential election uh the problem is, is- as much as people as the federal politicians seem to be accepting of it it's a very complex issue and you have to deal with things like uh getting rid of 280e which the government makes a lot of money off of, so do they want to do that? Then you're going to get into things like, does Colorado really want it to be federally legal? They're, if, if so, they, they're going to lose tax money because California is going to be able to export to Colorado. We have so many different things that uh, are going to have to be resolved in the next few years that I don't think federal legality – is in the next five years. I think, uh, and that's fine. I mean, I, I wish they would legalize it, but I think from an investor's perspective, that's fine because it allows a lot of companies to kind of build up without having to face a lot of competition. And there was a deal that your listeners should be aware of, which uh, took place, uh, it was announced right at the end of October and closed in early November, where a US uh, based liquor company or alcohol company, Constellation Brands, put uh, 190 million U.S. <clears throat> into uh, canopy growth, which is uh, the largest uh, Canadian uh, you know, federally licensed producer, and and that was a game changer uh, in a lot of ways. But the main thing it really uh, said was a, the alcohol industry is a little bit concerned. B, hey, maybe it's okay to make an investment in cannabis, but you got to structure it properly, make sure it's federally legal. And I think in the next few years we're going to see a lot more interest from big pharma and uh, the alcohol industry and maybe a little bit tobacco. I, I, I don't really personally see how tobacco has much to do with cannabis. Uh, uh, I, I know a lot of people like to say that it does. And there's some distribution things, I guess. But the reality is, I think those other two industries, as I look out in the next few years, that's from a US investor, that's going to be something to really focus on. And at the same time, to watch some of the Better companies really develop their franchises in the very complex, difficult markets to navigate right now where you can't ship across state lines and you have to deal with all these local rules and state rules and things like that. But the other thing I think is going to be really big, and I've been talking about this for a while. Uh, is the globalization of cannabis, and we're seeing it in Latin America, we're seeing it in Australia, we're seeing it in Europe, and and of course Canada, which I mentioned before. And the U.S. is getting left behind, and it's kind of ironic to me because we have a president who likes to be a winner, and we are a loser when it comes to the global platform of cannabis. And the whole world is moving ahead, and I think uh, anybody that's looking at cannabis should really start to think long and hard about uh expanding their, their opportunity set. And uh, especially when you look at things like Germany, and it's a little bit slow to play out, but they have pharmacy distribution that's covered by insurance. And it's, it's a small program now, but it's going to get a lot bigger. And that's the way the world is headed, uh, where medical cannabis is going to be legal everywhere federally, except apparently the United States.
0: <laughs> I think that's a really good point that you're make, making. And, and I talk about it a lot with my own clients, this, this area of business, right? Like it's, I think it's going to come in two waves. You're going to have your first wave when eventually we'll be able to ship interstate, right? And so you've got, <clears throat> you've got the, all these, these, these states where, where you cannot naturally grow outdoors very easily. I mean, my state's one of them here in Washington. We've only got a small part of the state that gets enough warmth and sun. And as soon as our market is able to be colonized by California, uh, it's going to drastically change the outlooks of of companies here in Washington or or anywhere on the nor- northern side of the country um, yep. where, where suddenly business plans that seemed solid if you only were doing business in your state are suddenly going to be trashed. Because the southern states with a lot more sunshine are going to be coming in. And, and similarly, on the international level, oh my goodness, once, once um, uh, Central America and Mexico are able to grow outdoor and process organic cannabis oils and ship them to the United States, the floor is just going to drop out of the oil market. And, and I don't think a lot of investors are thinking about how drastically the market itself is going to shift.
1: Hey, you want me to throw another one in there? Yeah, uh, do that. They're they're not quite there yet, but this whole concept of uh, biosynthesis, where you can grow uh, cannabinoids, and not just THC or CBD, which are expressed pretty uh, frequently, but some of the uh, some of the cannabinoids that are expressed less frequently, like CBDV, that may be very valuable for medical purposes. You you can do this without cannabis. You can do it uh, through this biotech process and you know imagine putting all this money into indoor grows all that capex and all of a sudden the infused cannabis industry just starts buying the uh, biosynthesized uh, cannabinoids and that's something i think people need to be aware of Wow. In the longer term,
0: yeah, that's really interesting. I can totally see an upcoming shaping fire on that topic now. <laughs> uh, yeah, we did. We did one. Um, uh, I don't know about three months ago on synthetic cannabinoids, and and you know the 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 general push on that is that they're they're synthetic and and they've got um, attributes chemically that are non natural, and so they've got real. They can have real negative, uh, both agonist and antagonist attributes. But, but what right. you're describing is actually growing the, the molecule exactly as it occurs in cannabis. So yes. while it's isolate, and we can argue to what degree isolates are useful for health and recreation, that's a different conversation. But the fact that they could just grow CBDV in a lab and have it be molecularly accurate. Yeah, you're right. That'll, that'll reshape parts of the industry as well. Yeah, well, Alan, thank you so much for uh, taking some time with us. I've really enjoyed chatting with you, and uh, I appreciate you both—both um, uh, both, you know, kind of giving us our your insight, but then also uh, providing some good, uh, clean news for us there at New Cannabis Ventures.
1: Uh, thanks. This has been great. I appreciate it.
0: If you'd like to know more about Alan Brockstein, you can check out his online cannabis investor community at 420investor.com. That's 420investor. And also be sure to check out newcannabisventures.com for daily investor news and insight on the cannabis industry's most promising companies. And also, I just checked it out. They have this great new news app that, that will push the news to you, which is really convenient You know, if you're waiting at the doctor's office or on a bus or something. That's really great. And their weekly newsletter is also good if you want to have the news pushed to you instead of you having to, uh, to search it out. You can find more episodes of the Shaping Fire podcast and subscribe to the show at shapingfire.com and on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you enjoyed the show, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a positive review of the podcast wherever you download. Your review will help others find the show so they can enjoy it too. On the Shaping Fire website, you can also subscribe to the weekly newsletter for insights into the latest cannabis news and product reviews. On the Shaping Fire website, you will also find transcripts of today's podcast as well. For information on me and where I'll be speaking, you can check out shangolose.com Does your company want to reach our national audience of cannabis enthusiasts? Email hotspot at shapingfire.com to find out how. Thanks for listening to Shaping Fire. I've been your host, Shango Los.